Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. My name is Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. And uh, so you probably heard it in the interview last week, and you're probably hearing it right now. You're like, Father Tony, there's a lot of echo in this room right now. And I would agree with you. Uh, right now we're in a different studio, uh, yeah. and we've been even trying to get just the levels right in a new place. Uh, eventually we'll get sound dampening panels in here, but uh, we're here live from Powers Catholic High School and their new studio. And, uh, you know, maybe just to, to drop a little bit of a more of a, you know, a hint of as to what's going to happen. Uh, soon you will uh, be able to check us out in multiple mediums, not yeah. just the audio medium. Uh huh. So if you've ever wondered what Michael looks like, maybe one day you'll find out. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that. I might like put up a panel so I can maintain some sort of just wear a mask. <laughs> just put hopefully it, not. Yeah, just put a hopefully mask over not. your whole face and that'll be fine. No yeah. one will see you. Yep. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about uh, the Didache, uh, which is a fun yeah. word, and hopefully by the end of this, it's more than just a fun word. It is. Yeah. It, in fact, it might be one of the most fun words in like, you that's, know, that's church a, history. I think I really a, like that word. It's a high bar. One of the most fun words. Well, that's true. It's a high bar. I, yeah, that's true. Theology is really known for some crazy vocabulary. I think, especially <laughs> when you get into Greek. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like homoousius. Okay. Like, fine. Uh, the word I, that the word that Father okay. Anthony used last week, spirating. Uh, Come on, that's a fun <laughs> word to spirate. Yeah, the action yep. of the spirit spirating. Yeah. Come on, that's a good one too. Anyway, Didache is pretty up there though. It's yeah. up there. It's yeah, I like it a lot. Um, so basically, the purpose of this whole this whole segment is really just to get you to read the Didache. There we go. That's that's really my only purpose behind this. Just, just to be upfront about it. Yeah, just to, just to give you enough. Where you're like, I gotta know more, because this is this is one of my favorite ancient writings. He's been wanting to do this segment for a long time now. Yeah, it it's been on the list for at least a few months. Yeah, for sure, it has. Um, so what is the Didache? Why was it written? Uh, in simple terms, you can you could say it was just an ancient catechism. Uh, it's believed to have been written either by the apostles or some of their direct disciples. So this is a very, very early Christian writing, like written in the first century AD, um, which is pretty sweet because we don't have a lot of stuff that, that that's that old. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so that's why it was written. It, it was like, you know, if you can imagine, uh, you know, an early church that was expanding rapidly and the apostles found out quickly they couldn't be everywhere and they couldn't be forming everyone. So they needed some sort of norms for forming the early church. And so in the Didache, and here's why I, here's why I want everyone who's listening to this to read this book, because it's so short. I think it's like eight pages or ten pages. Some, it's really That's short. good. I like that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is like the apostles saying, okay, here's the cliff notes mm -hmm. of our faith. Here's what you got to know. Yep. Yeah. And I, I really like that idea in itself. So it's a manual for discipleship. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through some of the highlights and some of our personal favorites. So essentially the the context of this the where they set the stage whoever this writer may be um is the two ways life and death so 
I really love this as like the context for it because it really like I I can imagine an early disciple who, you know, was maybe just baptized like days ago or something like this. And and they're like, okay, what does it mean now to be a Christian? And they start out with, okay, well, now that you're a Christian, now it's time for your life to change, to reflect that. And they're very, you know, the writer is very upfront about this and basically saying, you're either on the path of life or death. And there's there's no in between. You got to choose sides. Yep. And and everything we choose, every choice along the way is the choice in one of those directions, either life yeah. or death. There's no even neutral actions. Everything we do is either pointed in one direction or the other. Yeah, and I think it's all the other good thing about this is that I think it's very instructive for how do we disciple others. Mm-hmm. So somebody comes to know Jesus, they start along the path of becoming a Christian or or maybe coming back to the faith or whatever the case may be. They've had this encounter with Jesus. And then it's at that point where we say, okay, well, now it's time to change so that our lives can more more fully reflect the life of Jesus. Um, so I really like that. Yeah, it's a great way to start. Yeah. Just set it right, set the tone right away. Yeah, and so then the next, the next major section of this is really all about that. It's all about, really, they talk a lot more about the way of death, articulating mm-hmm. what is sin, um, and I think the other important thing too is why do, why do they do this? Well, if you if you imagine again the context that they're in, a lot of the early Christians were Jews. They didn't have the same concept of sin that we did uh, or that we do today. And so there was a need for instruction for both Jews and Gentiles once they, once they became Christian. Um, and so I just, I love that. The next thing, this is like the next major topic that I would say, and I don't know, that I feel like this could be really surprising to modern day Catholics hearing this one, but the next major topic is baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty significant section talking about baptism. Uh, and again, we don't, we don't know when this is written. So what is written here could, have, could even potentially predate what Paul wrote about baptism. Yeah, definitely. Or, or at least likely contemporary mm-hmm. to it. So this... I, I love this because you get to see what did the early Christians believe about baptism and why is it such a big deal? Because, again, they had, they had eight or ten pages and they made copies of this and sent it all over the world and baptism was one of those topics. Mm-hmm. And just how important it is, too. We see, especially in the early church a lot, somebody would want to be, they would see the Christians, they would want to be baptized And so we would baptize them and then we would teach them, okay, what happened at your baptism, right? The, the, the mystagogy that happens after baptism is more important than even the mystagogy that happens before baptism. Yeah. And so really, you know, it's important, you know, you may have just been baptized. What did that actually mean? What actually happened at your baptism? What's going on in your own soul when you were baptized? Yeah. Really important. Yeah. And I, again, I think this is like a good example for us of, discipling 
because it's like that was that was really the practice of the early church. They would do something, you know, somebody mm-hmm. somebody would come to know Jesus, they would uh, get baptized, and then they would find out, here's what just happened to you. Right. We see it in the Acts of the Apostles, right? Peter and the house of Cornelius. Yeah. Right? He doesn't say, great, you've received the Holy Spirit, now let's start this nine-month RCIA program. Yeah. He doesn't do that. Yeah. He's like, we're going to baptize you right now. Yeah. Which, incidentally, is like just to step back into like modern day church today. Incidentally, I think that's really interesting, like what's happening in the Catholic church today, where it seems like there's this shift in, um, not only RCIA, but, um, you know, catechesis in general, where it's turning a lot more towards not so much this rigid nine month program Mm -hmm. where you, you start in September, you end on the Easter vigil, See you at Sunday Mass, and probably that's it afterwards. Oh, and we'll talk about this in the next segment more. (laughs) Don't don't get me too excited too quickly. (laughs) I know. I'm prepping them. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm. I just. I think that's that's really good though. um, What's happening in the church where it's Mm -hmm. like it's moving more towards what do people need and how do we meet that need. And that need might not fall into this rigid structure. And yeah. so what what's happening across the country in a lot of places, including in our local area, is where instead of this nine-month program, it's like you can start RCIA in a lot of places at any time. Yeah, It's just like you, you talk to the pastor, you talk to you know somebody that works at the parish, and you're like, hey, I want to get started with RCIA. And you're like, okay, come this Sunday. And you just yep. start. And then when you're ready for baptism, which may be in nine months, maybe less, maybe mm-hmm. more, um, then you move forward with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my dream personally to, you know, offer baptisms, you know, four times a year, maybe six times a year just yeah. as, as a group say, Hey, you know, cause what, what drives me nuts is, you know, somebody may come in December. Hey, I'd like to become Catholic. Yeah. Well, you just missed, you know, we just started our say in September and got to wait yeah. a year. They ain't waiting a year. It's yeah. not happening. Or maybe they'll they'll be they're not ready to be baptized at Easter, and so they they don't get baptized at Easter. Yeah. Then like two months later, they're like, "All right, now I'm ready." Yeah. Well, you gotta wait another ten months. No, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. Um, that would be that that's the most appropriate place to be baptized, right? That's yeah. The most, and if you can, you should be baptized at the Easter vigil because that's the best. I love it. It's my favorite yeah. part of the Easter vigil. Uh, but we could certainly do baptisms year round, and and that would be awesome yeah and just like we do infant baptisms year-round let's do adult baptisms year-round it would be just as edifying to the people yeah yeah i think that's that's really interesting and i think also it's like um i feel like you know the early church as they were maturing they realized okay well there's there's a need for a little bit more structure than just like you know proclaim jesus and okay What's to prevent us from getting baptized right. now? <laughs> Certainly there is an element of that story that, that is unique to that moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's like they realized there was this need for um, something a little bit more structured, but at the same time it's like now in a different way we're recognizing, okay, we're, we're seeing a need for something a little bit more flexible. Right. So that's, it's just a beautiful thing and how I see this playing out even, even today. Mm-hmm. So the next major topic is fasting Uh-oh. and That's, prayer. Fasting's not my favorite topic. Yeah. 
Do you like slowing instead of no, fast? No, I like, I like eating. <laughs> we had Mexican for lunch today. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I like eating. So I thought this was really interesting because one, you don't hear a whole lot about fasting in the church today. This is true. It's because I don't like to fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we know why we're not hearing it in homilies. <laughs> At least not my homilies. <laughs> but it, I thought this was one so appropriate and and so noteworthy just how prominent this was in a very brief manual on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. They have, you know, I guess you could say four or five major topics, I would say. Um, you could argue for more. But of those major topics, fasting and prayer. And here's the other noteworthy thing. They mention fasting first. Yeah. Yup. Yeah. It's almost like start fasting and then you'll learn how to pray. Yes. Yep. When I tell people to f- how to fast, you know, how, how do I fast? What am I doing? When you fast, um, you, know, you get that hunger pang, right? And for me, it happens like immediately, yeah. like, right? And like I wake up and, oh, it's going to be a damn fasting. And if your stomach's like, it's time to eat. Yeah. And so the prayer becomes, Lord, help me to hunger for you. Yeah. More than this food, I want to hunger for you. And that becomes your prayer throughout the whole day. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing what what fasting can do to dispose us for prayer. Yes. Um, there's there's really nothing like it. Mm-hmm. You can't really replace it. And we've talked about this before. Obviously, if you have health health challenges, you know, right. you got to be, be careful of that for sure. Right. Um, but there are definitely ways where, you know, we can all... Uh, give up something for Jesus and it can draw us deeper into mm-hmm. prayer. So, so yeah, I just, I love that, that they, that they start with fasting. It's like, can you imagine though, it, like if you have an RCIA, like a, a, you know, fresh group of RCIA candidates and you know, you're in, you're in September, October or something like that of teaching them, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, you're about to get baptized or in their case, they would have already been baptized before hearing this. And then you're like, so fasting. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just awesome. I love it. It's so, so it's so countercultural too. Yeah. That's that's what really it's it's so different than what the culture wants. You know, this fast food culture of, hey, you gotta satisfy all your desires right away. So yeah. that's what's really gonna make you happy. And we're like, no, what's really gonna make you happy is not eating at all. Yeah. And, and turning that into prayer and letting the Lord change you from the inside. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about. So the next topic after prayer, at least that I highlight, is um, about teachers, apostles, and prophets. Oh, I like this. And it's, it seems like you can see this movement through, right? Uh, from the very beginning, the, the two ways concerning baptism, fasting and prayer, now into teachers, apostles, and prophets. There's a real yeah. direction in all of this. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you start out with basically relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I would describe it today anyway. Yeah. Relationship, the path of life or death. Then you talk about baptism, how you've been incorporated into Christ. And then drawing deeper in that relationship 
you know, not, not just being satisfied with the relationship that you have with Jesus, but how do we go even deeper mm-hmm. in fasting and prayer? And then really, I guess you would say, how do you encounter Christ in your neighbor in a sense or in, yeah. in the rest of the church? Well, and part of this is too, now we're starting to push outward into mission. Yeah. Yep. And what does that look like as a teacher? Exactly. Teachers, yeah. <laughs> apostles, and prophets. Yeah, this is very fitting, I guess. Yeah, I like this. As I'll be we a are teacher in, for the next yeah. year. Yep, yep. And we're in a school right now, so <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, I, I thought this was very interesting because, one, this is mentioned, teachers, apostles, and prophets as like leaders in the church mm-hmm. were mentioned before bishops. Like mm-hmm. that comes later. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, what that says is like, this comes first, and then through the authority of the bishops, um, and you know, through them, the priests and deacons, we discover our role for building up the church. But this has to come first. Like we have to, we have to discover um, how do we do mission, and how did God make us right. like? You, who, you know, whoever you are listening to this, how did God make you in particular to do mission yeah. in this world? So let me ask a question to the audience and, and answer me aloud if you're like listening in your car or <laughs> wherever you are. Um, when he said that the section concerning teachers, apostles, and prophets is about leaders in the church, how many of you imagined a priest right away or someone in a collar, right? Probably a lot. You would think of, leaders in the church when we start to think of the clergy the hierarchy of the church and then he started talking about non-priests yeah because that's the point yeah. right the leaders of the church are not necessarily the priests right the bishop yeah. presides over the the church in a specific area yeah but the lay people the lady you people you are all to be the leaders of the church you're the ones who, yeah. who run the church you're the one running the show um and uh Lest I jump too far into my next segment again, <laughs> I will stop yeah, there. I, but I think that's a really interesting point because it, it makes me think of something that um, that Father Tom once said, uh, and he said basically that the church isn't good at coming up with ideas, huh. like like the hierarchy of that's, the church. That's true. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> true. I hope you burned your candles. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Shoot. <laughs> Uh, I love that. Um, but anyway, so the church isn't like the hierarchy of the church isn't good at coming up with ideas, but the church is very good at shepherding those ideas. Mm. Yes. That's why Jesus said to Peter, shepherd my sheep. So he's a leader in a way, but he's a leader shepherd. Mm-hmm. It. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, Peter, I need you to come up with all the good ideas in the church and you're going to have, you know, all of the rest of all the rest of my followers just carry out your orders. Yeah. That, he didn't say that. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Thank he you says, that. shepherd my sheep. And so how I would think of this is like, you know, these teachers, apostles, prophets, um, and Paul mentions evangelists. So I'll just include them there because they're mm-hmm. very essential to the church as well. These leaders within the church, they're they're really the ones that like initiate 
that get things moving, that see a change and say, okay, let's make it happen. But it's the hierarchy of the church that's entrusted with sort of pruning the vine, identifying, okay, this is a good idea, but, you know, these things over here that are, you know, maybe happening as a result of it or whatever, you know, we need to correct these things. That's what the church is good at. That's what the hierarchy is good at. And one of the problems is for, you know, at least the last many decades, I won't put a time on it, the church, as in the people of God, has been looking to the hierarchy saying, Mm -hmm. what do we do? Right. Well, you're going to be waiting a long time. Yup. And you're not going to hear very many good ideas. (laughs) Yup. So, anyway, that's my rant on apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. Let's talk about this last one because I like yeah. this last topic. Yeah, this is this is probably Father Tony's favorite part, if I was to guess. Yes, and <laughs> and I don't have to save it for the next segment. Yeah, yeah, that's good too. Um, so the last thing that that the writer of the Didache talks about is watchfulness and the coming of the Lord. Yes, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Yep. I so should, I should cut in Father Joe Crop's little piece there from yeah. when we interviewed him. <laughs> yeah, he was having fun with our technology. Yeah, you'll know how much editing Father Tony did on this if you hear that in the mm-hmm. <laughs> in the final cut. You won't hear it. <laughs> so, yes, the coming of the Lord. So again, we see that that continued progression in the Didache, right? So now we go all the way from the beginning uh, to the very foundation of the faith, baptism, fasting and prayer, diving deeper into our faith, turning into mission into our faith, and then we come to the very end, watchfulness and the coming of the Lord. Do you think that... Uh, we would be here 2,000 years later discussing the Didache? Probably not. Yeah, probably they didn't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. they, they, the people who wrote the Didache yeah. would, probably never would have thought 2,000 years later we'd be sitting here discussing the Didache because yep. uh, they, they didn't think Jesus would tarry this long. Yeah. They, they really thought he was coming much quicker than this. I mean, realistically, like the early Christians, probably the writer of the Didache, they were writing this thinking... And you can probably tell by the very short length of it. Mm-hmm. They're probably thinking, okay, this will, you know, hold people over for like the next 20, 30 years until sure. Jesus comes. And then, you know, we'll be good. And we'll be good. Rome will be defeated. Yes. All will be good in the world. <laughs> that that didn't quite happen. Yeah. Not like that. But it's still it's still a good section, right? So they, they didn't write just in case that happened, right? They wrote to what still works for us today. Watchfulness yeah. at the coming of the Lord. Even to this day, 2,000 years ago, we should be that watchful as if Jesus is going to come today. As yeah. if today's the day. And, you know, we don't know the hour or the day. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And so we are always yeah. prepared, always watchful, always ready for that great and terrible day of the Lord, which, as we know, for us Christians who are expecting it, won't be that terrifying because we know what's happening. But yeah. for the world that does not know what's happening, is not prepared, not ready, not watchful, it will be a terrifying day. Yeah. And that's the difference. Do we know Jesus or not? When we look up and we see the earth shaking and Jesus coming in the clouds and, oh my, we know who that is. Yeah. We're not afraid. I might be a little bit afraid. Yeah. But we know what's happening. I was going to say, I'd be a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I might wet myself a little bit, yeah. just a little. <laughs> but one final exhortation to all of our listeners, if you've ever found yourself wanting 
to read the catechism, but you're like, man, this is just way too long. Read the Didache. It's like the cliff notes of it. It's really good. We'll see you guys on the other side. The first annual Michigan Catholic Women's Conference will be held on October 16th, 2021 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Lansing Center. For more information and details, check out the diocesan website. That's it. That's all we got this week. Welcome back to the Flint Catholic Podcast. Today we're going to look at the Catholic World Report website. So we're going to check on over there. There's an article by uh, George Weigel that really caught my eye recently, and I wanted to talk about it and uh, dissect it a little bit. Um, And uh, his article is entitled, A Church in Mission or a Church in Meetings? Now immediately, if you know me, a title like that is going to get me to click on your article like 100% of the time. A church in mission or a church in meetings? Yes. I don't like meetings. I don't like sitting still for very long. I'm already getting a little bit antsy. And I'm doing something I really enjoy. <laughs> so imagine when I'm I was going to say, why are you antsy? Yeah. Imagine <laughs> when I'm talking. in a meeting that I don't enjoy. It just, it's bad news. So let's start. Uh, so George Weigel says, Catholicism, the Pope urged, must move from maintenance to mission. All right. So yeah, we're, we're in a... Uh, that's language we're familiar with, Evangelii Gaudii, right? From a pastoral ministry of mere conversation or conservation to a decidedly missionary pastoral ministry. And that ministry ought to empower all the people of the church for mission. For the 21st century church must understand itself as a community of missionary disciples who are permanently in a state of mission because the church lives not for herself, but for the evangelization of today's world. All right, so great start there, right? We're quoting Pope Francis and all of those, there's a lot of buzzwords in there, things we really like, things we've heard before, right? Mission uh, from, uh, uh, what is it? A community of missionary disciples in a state of mission, church lived not for herself, the evangelization of today's world. Mm, good stuff. Love it. And uh, uh, then Weigel continues, a little short of eight years later, Cardinal Mario Gretsch, General Secretary of the Synod of Bishops, unveiled a complex, some might say convoluted, plan for an extensive series of consultations at the diocesan, national, continental, and international levels in preparation for the Synod on Synodality to be held in Rome on October 2023. This two-year process has been described by one enthusiast as the most important global Catholic project since Vatican II. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Who's excited for a synod on synods? Those people are. Yeah. <laughs> a synod on synods? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. 
So as you can imagine, I'm not super enthusiastic about this, right? More meetings. Who loves more meetings? Raise your hand. So where do we see this disconnect, right? What is a church on mission? That doesn't sound like a church on mission. That sounds like a church in meeting. How do we shift that mentality? So I believe personally that the answer is all of you. And I'm not just pointing to Michael, but I'm pointing to all of you who are listening. I'm pointing in every different direction right now. It's all of you. The answer is outside the walls of the church. So outside of the institution that, let's be honest, no one really trusts now anyways. No one trusts the institution of the church. And this is shown by the mass exodus of people, um, not just from the Catholic church, from Protestant churches, just church in general. People are walking away from faith. They're walking away from religion. Weigel says, the exodus is also a byproduct of decades of inept catechesis and flaccid preaching, such that in much of the Western world today, the most highly educated Catholics in history likely less know, know less about Catholicism and therefore believe less than their grandparents. Yikes. So I guess one thing I do like about Weigel is he doesn't shy away from, uh, from making a point. Yeah. He hits it pretty hard. I appreciate that in him. And I would agree with him in a, in a lot of this. We haven't had great uh, catechesis. We haven't had great preaching. I think that's on, on, on the hierarchy, really. That's, that's on the priests. We haven't um, really equipped people to do this. We've just said, hey, you all come to us. We'll do everything for you. It'll be just fine. You don't even have to read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. You don't need any of that. I'll tell you what you need to know. No, that's not how it is. That's Gnosticism. That's, I've got secret knowledge. You come to me for the knowledge, that'll get you to heaven. That's a heresy, by the way. Calling it like it is. That's what it is. <laughs> the church has been a uh, ground of heresy for a while. Heresy! <laughs> so, the first step, and really what Weigel's saying here is the first step is for us to dive deeper into our faith. No, we don't need to go to school. We don't need to get a fancy degree. If you don't mean to, you know, you know I don't put much stock in that piece of paper. Um, the education is more important. So go to Father Mike Schmitz or Bishop Barron on YouTube, right? Those two are really, really good at dissecting the faith and making it um, easy to understand and to, to dive into um, and to go even deeper into. Bishop Barron has this Word on Fire Institute, which is fantastic. Um, I'm subscribed to that. I think it's fantastic. Pick up the catechism. Pick up the Didache. Yeah. Right, there we go. I was wondering if you were going to go there. <laughs> of, course, of course I'm going to go there. Uh, that's why we talk about the Didache, because it's something that you can that was written for just anybody to pick up and read and dive into. Uh, I think the biggest thing I'm going to encourage is pray the scriptures. Pray the scriptures. Go into it every single day and pray with them. Learn how to do Lexio Divina. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through them. Practice your faith. Uh, show up to Mass every Sunday and you, know, you don't need to be an expert in the faith, but you do need to seek. You do need to dive deeper, and you need to know that that, that's not an end, that process doesn't end. We continue our entire lives to seek. So what are we seeking? Well, we're seeking God's will for us. How is God asking you to participate in his mission to bring all peoples to himself? And so really what I'd like to, from, from my own experience, I see this outside the walls of the church happening in a very profound way, much more effectively than inside the walls of the church. Uh, I think, I know we've talked about Tim Goodrich on this before. Um, we interviewed him. He was our second interview uh, in this wow, podcast. That's, that's a, crazy to think about. It was a year ago. Yeah. Man, we've been doing this a while now. It's been fun. Yeah. So Tim Goodrich, uh, who 
started a shoe shop downtown. He was part of the beginning of the Flint Crepe Company downtown, uh, is now in charge of Dorothy's House of Coffee. And he he's really designed that place to be a place of uh, uh, encounter with God. And so he's very intentional about the evangelization that happens there, the, the things that happen in that place, the events, the Bible studies, the, the philosophy clubs. I kind of want to start a philosophy club there, right? I think I've mentioned yeah. this on, on the show before too. Right? I want to start a philosophy club there. We just talk about philosophy. And of course, good philosophy always returns to God, always has God at its core. Yep. So, um, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and really the amount of evangelization we've already been able to do in that place is really incredible. But Tim had to go and step out, right? He's taking a huge risk for this. And he, but he felt led by the Holy Spirit to do this. He felt called by the Holy Spirit in a very profound way, uh, even to the point of having dreams about it. Yeah. And seeing like God saying very clearly to him, I want you to do this. Step out. We don't know what the result's going to be. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, we don't even know if it's going to be successful, but God wants us to do this, so okay. And he did it. And and that's the kind of faith that it takes. Um, and that may be what God's asking of you. Another great example that I, I may have mentioned on this before, too, is Dr. Heffernan. So Dr. Heffernan, uh, he's, uh, he's passed by now, and, uh, but he started, he, he started a, um, uh, a clinic, a free clinic in, for the poor uh, in Ypsilanti, and uh, just outside of Ann Arbor. And uh, he, you know, just, it was just a small thing to start, but then it just kept getting bigger. God kept blessing it. Uh, it became international as well. So he, he, would, he would go down to Nicaragua um, and, and do work there, come back, do work more. And then well, his clinic became Hope Clinic, uh, which still exists in Ypsilanti today. And to me is one of the best run charities that exist. Just the way that they run is incredible. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Hope Clinic. I've been trying to get Hope Clinic here in Flint for a while. I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. That's maybe a very longer term goal. Um, but uh, I got to know Dr. Heffernan at the end of his life. And it always, he, his, he just blew me away constantly. He was in his uh, early 90s when I met him. And he was uh, in a retirement home. Uh, nursing home. He needed uh, help to take care of him. And um, we were talking one day and I was bringing him communion and we just started talking and uh, he said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for what God has for me next. Wow. I know. I'm like, dude, you're 93. Put your feet up. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but that's, that wasn't his attitude at all. It's like, hey, all right, I'm still yeah. here. What else does God have for me? What's my next mission? Yeah. That was so great. Wow. Uh, now that's a missionary mindset. That is a missionary mindset. There's no, you know, you're, you're wow. He's, he's never done. He's still here. Yeah. There's more to do. I hope I'm saying that in my nineties. Gosh, I hope I'm, if I make it, I, don't know, I, was gonna say, I hope I'm, I'm not going to make it to my nineties, but I hope so. Maybe I'll be half machine by then. You know, science yeah. progresses. We'll see. So like those two examples right there, right? This is just two men normal dudes. God, how are you asking me to serve your church? Are you asking me to bring more people to yourself? And they weren't clergy. Neither of them were. One was a doctor. One's not. One's a shoe doctor. One's a crepe and coffee doctor. <laughs> That's you. true. I got you, Tim. I got you. <laughs> 
Those crepes are good. Oh my god! The coffee is too, but you, I'm like really partial to the crepes. If you haven't had a crepe at Dorothy's House of Coffee yet, um, shame on you. Shame. <laughs> Eternal shame. And you know what? And we're coming for you. That's right. I'm going to bring that back. Yep. <laughs> Got to keep bringing that uh, clip back. Can't let that be forgotten. <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> All right. So then Weigel, I think uh, he ends by like bringing the hammer. If you thought he, he was bringing the hammer so far, no, nah, he hasn't brought it yet. This is the hammer. Are you ready for this? Probably not. But You're not. Go for it. But I'm ready. He says, it is not self-evidently clear how two years of self-referential Catholic chatter in a pre-synodal church discussion groups conducted under the rubric of discernment about a synodal church is going to chart a path beyond this abandonment of rock-bottom Christian beliefs, which is at the root of today's rapidly declining Catholic practice. This is not the time for a church in meetings. The times demand a church in mission, proclaiming Jesus Christ as the answer to the question, that is every human life. Wow. Dang! Yeah. Woo! Woo! Yeah, so I don't think he likes the, the Synod of Synods either. I don't think yeah. he's a fan. Just just getting a little hint of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's stop meeting. And let's just do. Yeah. Let's go out and bring people to God. Yeah. And I think... In a way, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the Didache in the first segment of like to realize just how early Christians were discipled. It was like they experienced Jesus, they were baptized, and then they were like, here's what this means. Yep. So they did something and they introduced them to someone. Yes. And then they said, now we should have a meeting. And we should no. talk about. No. <laughs> I know. No. Wrong word. No. Probably a trigger word you for made, father. Made, that, hurt, that hurt my heart. That hurt. So I so I have I have a, even a small example of this, right? So uh, so I'm I'm teaching here at Powers this year, and uh, we've been in professional development this week, and so I've been trying to figure out the ropes, the admin stuff. Like I just want to teach, right? But there's a lot of admin, and I get it. So I got to get used to all these programs online and. They should call it, instead of professional development, it should be the Synod on Teaching. Now you're just, now you're just pushing my buttons. And we're coming for you. See, now you're, just, you're, you're intentionally pushing my buttons, and, and my buttons have been pushed. <laughs> Good. Uh, just don't tell Deacon Sean, because he's the principal here. And he, and might, he might do that. He might actually do it. Oh, man. So... Uh, so I'm learning all this administration stuff and I, I just, it's okay, but I think it's poorly designed technology, right? Which frustrates me. And so uh, one of the teachers, Andrew, comes into my classroom and he says, you know that thing that we've been frustrated about? Yeah. Well, I figured out how to fix it and it's incredible. This is how you do it. And he came in and he was super excited to show me like how to fix it. And, and I was super excited because I'm like, that is something that would have frustrated me all year long had I not known how to fix it. And then, then he leaves and like he's two steps out the door and he sees another teacher and he says, hey, you know that thing we're frustrated about in Plus Portals? <laughs> <laughs> it, and it made me laugh uh, because that's, that's what it should be like with us in the gospel, right? Yeah. Like every person we run into, hey, do you know about Jesus? Yeah. Hey, do you, hey, hey, do you know that thing that we're frustrated with, sin? Life? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, that's what it should be like. Like the excitement he had for figuring out that one little thing on plus portals. Yeah. Should be our excitement for, for the faith. Should be our excitement for Jesus Christ that we have found the pearl of great price, the thing worth dying for, thing worth giving everything for. And yet we're content with our meetings, which get us nowhere and do nothing. I mean, not every meeting, but, you know, most of them. Yeah. Especially synods on synods. I'm not going to give that one up. We might harp on that. Hopefully we're not going to harp on that for the next yeah. two years until it's done. But at least, you know, one, one positive on the side of synods is we do have biblical evidence that there was at least one good synod. Well, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> I'm just joking. But, yes, you're probably right. So let's not worry so much about the meetings. Let's not worry so much about the institution and the buildings. Let's go out and proclaim Jesus. Amen. Amen.